All right, how's everybody doing? Good? Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, yeah, my name's David Ahn. Uh, I serve at Yonsei primarily to, I do what John does every week. I just do it at a different campus. Uh, you know, I'm an intern pastor as well at uh, New Philadelphia Church. And actually, before I, uh, yeah, go into my message, I just wanted to, yeah, just share a little bit more about what I shared about during the prayer time where, yeah, as, as we're just worshiping and I just lifted up my hands and I don't normally get these like, oh, you know, strong moments. Um, but yeah, as soon as I lifted up my hands, I felt what I felt when I was a, when I was a freshman uh, in college and when the Lord did a really similar work in my life as he's doing in many of your lives. And uh, yeah, he was just saying like, get ready, get ready to come, uh, get ready for what is to come because yeah, my sophomore year, uh, that's when I kind of stepped up got more involved with my campus ministry. And I think our campus was like the fastest growing. Um, God was doing such a quick work and bringing so many people, uh, I think more than any other campus uh, that semester, that year at least, where he just brought an accelerated work. And I felt that strongly to come for CREATE-U as well. So get ready for that. Get excited. Man, it's, it's going down. So yeah, like I said, uh, yeah, I'm an intern pastor and I've uh, been in Korea for about two years now. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been a little over two years. I came October 2011. I uh, graduated from a school called Rutgers in New Jersey and I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, and after my time in college, I was in Japan for a year. I did a one-year uh, missions work uh, with a similar ministry like Emmaus, actually. And uh, I came out here. So it's a little bit about my background. Um, who went to the retreat, actually? Raise your hand up if you went to the retreat. So most of you guys went. Um, so yeah, again, I was that guy, you know, playing the guitar uh, and, and uh, leading the praise. And um, yeah, you guys don't really know, but I was running around the whole time. You know, while you guys were getting ministered to or in your small groups or eating snacks, you know, I was, I was just going back and forth because uh, Itaewon, their leadership, they had a retreat that weekend as well. So we had to work with them and I was just uh, commuting back and forth. And needless to say, I had a lot of time a lot of free time on my on my commute, you know, on the train, and I just want to share a conversation I I overheard while I was on the subway, and uh, you know, I, I shared I was in Japan before, and you know, when I, whenever I was in Japan, no matter how loud it was, no matter how many conversations was going on, I could still focus on whatever I was doing. You know, there was I would always read a book and. You know, I'd hear like Leonjin Deska and you know Genki Des and all this stuff, and uh, I just hear in the background. But I was like, I don't really speak Japanese, so I didn't really understand it, so it was fine. And I was able to focus on you know what I was doing. But I remember one time there was this uh, obnoxious American group of people. Of course, they're loud and American, right? And they're just speaking, and I couldn't get anything done. You know, I couldn't focus, and my train of thought was just it just stopped. And in the same kind of way, it was like that in the, in the subway. Uh, last weekend at the retreat where, um, you know, with Korean, it's okay. I understand it, but I'm still able to focus on what I'm doing. But there's these two girls and they're just speaking English and, you know, they're kind of, kind of, you know, loud and obnoxious, you know, American and uh, they're just speaking. And I only heard bits and pieces and, uh, you know, I was eavesdropping. I'll just say it. I'll just admit it. Okay. Is that okay? Is that okay? I just eavesdropped. And, you know, I heard bits and pieces like, oh yeah. And then she was all like, you know, the train was, was making all these noise. So I heard bits and pieces like, yeah. And then she was like, and then, you know, and then I just kind of heard bits and pieces, but the, the parts I did here, this is what she was saying. Uh, the one girl was saying, yeah. And she was doing all these 
you know, things uh, because she was Christian. Uh, you know, and if she was like Muslim or something, it would have been fine, but she was Christian. And, you know, that's kind of what I heard. And pretty much what she was saying was, you know, if you're a Christian, just leave that part at home. You know, like leave that part on, you know, Sunday, just, just you know, once a week, you know, Sunday uh, and then Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, just, just do your own thing. Why do, you gotta, why do you have to bring that, you know, Christian part of your life into every other part of your uh, life, right? And, you know, but she was saying like, yeah, but if you're a different religion, it's, it's totally okay. But if you're Christian, what, what's the deal, right? Why are you getting so um, obsessed with that? And, you know, she was pretty much saying, like, you gotta, you, you should compartmentalize your life, you know? Have different parts of your life. Like, you know, like a glove compartment in a car, you know, this one little section of the car, you know, in that same way, section off your Christianity, you know, section off that part of your life. And it made me ask two questions. The first one was, you know, what do people think following Jesus actually means? And then once I asked that question, I asked myself that. Like, David, what do you think following Jesus really means? So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So bring out your Bibles, bring out your iPads, your tablets, your iPhones, whatever you got. And we're just going to go there. It's just one verse. If you're there, say Shaba. Shaba. I'll, I'll wait a little bit. Matthew 13, verse 44. If you're there, say Shaba. Shaba. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to read it out. So it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Uh, just bow your heads with me real quick. I'm just going to pray really fast. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in Korea University. We thank you uh, just for every life that you've touched here in this ministry. And God, I just pray blessings upon this word. I pray you breathe your spirit upon it. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you, God. Fall in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so what happens in this one verse we're reading is a man finds a treasure, right? And it's hidden in a field. Uh, he looks at it. He doesn't, he doesn't take it out, you know, because actually around that time, if you found a treasure in whatever plot of land, if you found it and you took it out, then legally it's, it's the person who owns the field. Uh, that's who it, owns to, uh, that's who it uh, goes to, right? So, you know, he doesn't touch it. He just buries it again, you know, and then he sells all that he has and he buys his field. And, you know, this was a common practice. You know, this was a time before banking was generally established. There was no Uriyaneng. You know, there was no KB Kukminuneng. There was no IBK Industrial Bank of Korea. There was no general uh, banking system that was established. So what did people do? They went in their backyard, or they went to an obscure place. They probably drew a little map just to remember where it was. But, you know, they, they got their special coins. They got their jewels, these little precious metals. They put it in a box. They put it in a jar, and they just buried it. You know, and especially in this time where, uh, in times of crisis, so, you know, Palestine, this area, you know, a lot of, uh, what is it, land raiders would come in, like, kind of like pirates, I guess you could say, you know, but not as... Um, cool. Yeah, they just come and, and they'll just kind of raid people. So especially during this time, it was really common 
for people to bury their treasures, okay? But even though it was common, it was super rare for people to actually find these treasures. Uh, one scholar says this. He says, to find a treasure would happen once in a thousand lifetimes. It was like winning the lottery. You know, if you were to actually go digging, it wasn't like, snap, I forgot my wallet. Let me just start, let me just start digging on the ground. You know, it wasn't like you could just find, you know, treasures buried anywhere. It was like winning the lottery. It was really rare for you to actually find this kind of treasure. And, you know, Jesus saying this is saying, you know, it's just, that's why it's that much more important. That's why when this man, he found this treasure, he was saying, man, like this is such a rare thing. It's that much more valuable. You get what I'm saying? And because the treasure was so valuable and rare, the man sold all that he had. Again, the man sold all that he had. And I want to ask you tonight, is there anything you're willing to purchase by selling all that you have? In other words, what I'm asking you is, what's the treasure of your heart? What's something that you really value above anything else? What would you you know, be willing to sell all that, you, you know, throw out your limbs, you know, run, run around the world. What would you do? Is there anything in your heart that you treasure so much that you'd be willing to do all that, to pay that kind of cost? And another question I want to ask you is, what does being a Christian or following Jesus mean to you? You know, is this similar to like those obnoxious American girls I saw on the train where they're just saying like, oh my gosh, like she can't, I don't know why she's acting that way and I don't know why she's Christian, but is it, is it that kind of life? Is it that kind of view of Christianity where it's just, you know, you're, you're a Christian on Sunday and you're a Christian on Tuesday night at Emmaus Large Group and then that's it? Or is it, is it more holistic? You know, is, does following Jesus mean something a little more to you? And uh, just to share a little bit about, you know, where I'm coming from, my, my testimony, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, my dad's a pastor, so, you know, my mom was a tamonim, you know, a, a pastor's wife, and uh, my uncle's a pastor, my cousin's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor, my dog's a pastor. No, no, I'm just playing, but, you know, like, so many pastors are in my family, you know, and uh, my grandma's mom, she's, uh, my dad's side, they're from uh, North Korea, and then my great-grandma, she was like a Mother Teresa in North Korea. Like, she was taking, like, orphans and, you know, one hand and people with leprosy in this hand. And, and like, she was just known to, like, minister. And she was like a Kim Teresa, Mother Teresa kind of thing, right? And, yeah, she was just, just known for just loving everyone. And, and that's the kind of background I come from, right? And, yeah, needless to say, I came from a, a Christian home. I came from a, I went to a Christian school as well for... Uh, up to uh, junior high school, at least. And, you know, I had a lot of uh, Christian things going on. You know, I, Sunday, you know, I go, to, I go to church, and I knew what songs we were going to sing today. You know, I go in there and, you know, creating me a clean heart, oh, God. Or, you know, my, what's that heart of worship song? What's that? Why am I drawing a blank? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You know, all these kind of old school songs that nobody knows. Snap, I feel old. Um, yeah, and, you know, I'd sing the song, and the, the pastor would preach. And after he preached, we'd do the Lord's Prayer all together, you know, and then we'd just say it. And then, you know, once that was done, it was all about the, the lunch, right, the Korean lunch that they served. And, you know, it was a good day when they served curry. You know, they served not, not the... Not the Japanese curry. It was like the bootleg Japanese curry that Koreans imitated. But it was so good. There's, there'd be like blocks of potatoes like that big, you know. And, and then, yeah, that, you know, it's the best thing. And then after, after lunch, 
it was all about basketball, you know, or, or watching like, you know, NFL after, or, you know, what are we going to do? What house are we going to go to after this? What, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, I kind of just left that Christianity thing in the, in the short hour and a half we have for service. And, you know, yeah, I had a, I had a life that was very divided, you know, so I'll, I'll go to church on Sundays, I'll do my Christian thing. And then Monday to Saturday, it was just, Nobody would have thought I was Christian, you know, if, if they met me in school. And uh, needless to say, because I didn't really have, you know, Jesus in every part of my life, I tried to find my joy. I tried to find my value in everything but Jesus. You know, and I had a, I had a lot of things in my life that said I should have been happy. You know, I, uh, I was provided for uh, financially. We were never poor, but we're never rich, you know. But, you know, I, we always had enough, like... I never had to worry about not eating or anything like that. And, uh, you know, that's when I worked out a lot more. So, you know, physically I was healthy, you know, and, uh, you know, I had a car or I was able to drive a car and I was able to go wherever I was working, uh, different jobs. I worked at, um, man, so many different places like Seven Eleven and like a fruit and grocery store. And man, I ate so much at both of those places, but, um, yeah, you know, I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of friends. I had, a, I had a girlfriend. I had all these things that said I should have been happy. But I really wasn't. You know, I really wasn't uh, finding value in those things. So what happened? What was the next thing? You know, whenever I would get stressed, whenever I would, you know, just just not have a good day, you know, I started, I remember I smoked my first cigarette in middle school, my first beer in sixth grade, you know, and I threw it all up because it was so nasty. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I remember just doing all these things because that was my way of dealing with stress. That was my way of, dealing with this part of my life, you know, in this area, right? And when those things didn't happen, it was, you know, hey, drugs came in my life. Hey, you know, sleeping with my girlfriend came in my life. And the, all these kind of things, I tried to find my joy and my purpose, but it just, it just wasn't meeting it, you know? And, you know, it got so bad, I fought with my parents every day. Um, yeah, I'll just fight with them, you know, cursing and my dad, he's, uh, he doesn't speak English that well, so he didn't really understand what I was saying most of the time. But, you know, when my mom translated, oh, it was all hell broke loose in my house. And, uh, you know, we were just fighting. It got to the point that, man, it, it got physical, like me and my dad. And I'm so happy. I didn't, I didn't punch him, so please keep listening. I didn't, I didn't hit him, but I was so close in hitting him. Um, but, you know, we're, we're arguing, and then my mom's like, Yo, bo, like, like, honey, you know what he's saying to you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, no. And then he comes and then he starts pushing me. And then it's kind of funny now looking back, but, man, I had these slippery socks, I remember. And we had a wooden floor. And then when my dad started pushing, I started pushing back. I had no traction, you know. It was like, I was like dancing on ice, you know. And we're fighting. And then he, uh, he punches me. And actually, uh, my, my tooth right here, it's fake. My, the bottom half, at least, this one tooth. If you don't know, now you know. Uh, but it got to the point where, you know, it got physical with my pops, with my dad. Uh, you know, and not only did the fighting cease, but, or not cease, but, you know, I'll go to church with just bad hangovers. Uh, I remember, yeah, just having to slip out of my Sunday morning worship because I had to go throw up in the bathroom. You know, and it was just like such an emptiness, such meaningless in my meaninglessness in my life and yeah this uh this guy named blaze pascal this is how he says it there's a god-shaped vacuum 
in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. A lot of people think this is like a C.S. Lewis quote, but this is just the original guy, where you have this God-shaped hole, this God-shaped vacuum in your heart, and you can try to fill it in uh, with anything, uh, but the only thing that can really fit it is, uh, is God, is through Jesus Christ. And I realized, man, that things weren't going well in my life because I didn't really make Jesus come into every part of my life. So what happened, you know, I went to a college about two, three hours away. I joined a college ministry similar like this, and I encountered Jesus, and everything changed. And my life started to have purpose, and I think the biggest thing was not just recommitting my life to Christ, but what I, the biggest thing was I decided that all my life would be for him. I decided to let him be a part of every area of my life, every area. Because you see, to follow Jesus means to treasure him more than anything else. And see, what happens in this, to this man in this parable, what he does is, it says that he sold all that he had. Everything that he had, he sold, right? Everything that he had. And it didn't matter whether he was rich or he was poor. He sold everything, you know? Whether it's little or much. If that's all that you got, he said, I found something better. So to treasure his kingdom means to treasure Jesus more than anything else. And to treasure Jesus more than anything else means you're willing to pay any cost to seize this unique and unrepeatable opportunity. Remember how I talked about how rare it was? It was like finding the lottery. You know, the guy says finding buried treasure was like once in a thousand lifetimes. You know, it's when you realize how rare of an opportunity this is. And you place that much value in it, and you're willing to pay any cost to get that treasure. Because only when you make treasuring Jesus your top priority will you be able to enjoy his blessings. I'm going to say that one more time. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Because only when you make treasuring Jesus your top priority, only then will you be able to enjoy his blessings. See, the all or nothing. You know, this guy, Augustine, he was one of the uh, early church fathers uh, in like the early, uh, like 200s, 300s. And this is what he says. He says, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Only when you make treasuring Jesus your top priority are you going to be able to enjoy the blessings of what it really means to be a disciple of Christ, of what it really means to say that every spiritual blessing has been made available to you. Only when you make treasuring Jesus your top priority will you know what it means when God says, you're my treasured possession. And you're able to say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I'm a beloved child of God. You're not going to get a deep revelation of that unless you make Lord Jesus the Lord of your whole life. But the thing is, there's just one problem. You know, besides sin and, and all that, like we, we know that, but... But more than sin, it's, it's this. We're far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased with, you know, the temporary things in our life. And C.S. Lewis, this is what he says. He's the guy who uh, wrote Narnia. Anyone know Narnia right here? Yeah, that's, that's my movie right there, uh, my book. And um, I'll still read it. I'm a grown man, too. Uh, but yeah, this is what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis is saying is, we have something infinitely greater offered to us. But whatever we have on this side, you know, these little mud, mud pies or whatever that is, you know, in the slum, that's, we're so content with that. We don't want to move. We know there's something better. We know there's something greater out there, but we're content. We're too easily pleased with the things around us. And, you know, this is obvious, like the, like the bad things, the negative things, yeah. We're too easily pleased with, you know, drinking and, and you know, smoking, sleeping around. And, and real quick, sex is a good thing, okay, guys? Sex is a good thing, but it has to be in marriage, okay? It's a good thing. I, you know, sex isn't a bad thing. We always kind of say it's like a bad thing. And uh, actually past uh, forms of Christianity, they, they, like, forbade people from sleeping. And, like, the Puritans, when they first colonized uh, the states, they weren't. I'm sorry, I'm getting a history lesson right now. But anyways, you know, sex, sex is a good thing, okay? Amen? But in marriage, amen. I feel like the father right now having that awkward conversation with their kid, like, for the very first time, like, son, sit down. Do you know how, where babies come from? You know, I feel like that right now. But no, sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. But um, that's not my message. Uh, you know, we get, we get so caught up with uh, so many... So many things, right? Like, yeah, the, the, the drugs and drink, but all that. But not even just the, the bad things, but we get caught up with things that are not necessarily bad. You know, we could get caught up with our studies. Anyone here pleased and satisfied with their studies? Any smart, studious people? All right, never mind. Um, yeah, you know, we get maybe not our studies, but like sports. Like I love basketball. I love uh, snowboarding, like surfing. All the, Like I love it, and it's good stuff to... You know, God gives you good gifts. You know, he doesn't say, like, you're a Christian. You got to read your Bible and pray only, you know, every day. You know, it's not just that. He gives you good things. You can enjoy it. Uh, you know, and it's fine. So even, like, ambitions, certain ambi- you know, each and every one of you, you know, God puts certain callings, certain destinies, uh, certain ambitions in your life. And that's fine. You're supposed to pursue. That's the way God designed you. He's also put different dreams in your life. And you're supposed to go after those things. And we can be satisfied by them, um, but we can't be fully pleased. Because, you know, these things are okay, but we can't treasure them over Jesus. That's the main point, you know? And that's why Matthew 10, 37 to 39, it says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus isn't saying, go and rebel against your parents. He's not saying, disown your sons and daughters. He's not saying, yeah, hate them or anything like that. But he's saying, your love for me, your love for me, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If you're comparing that to the love that you have for your family, your loved ones, it seems like hate. You get what I'm saying? He's not saying hate your family, but he's saying compared to the love that you have for Jesus, everything should look like hate even. 
it's not that things are bad and it's not that we're not able to enjoy these gifts that God has given us, but things we just can't treasure them more than Jesus. We can't treasure them over Jesus. And this is something uh, I've just been chewing on just by myself, what God's been just hitting me with. And, uh, you know, there's this man named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> many sons had Father Abraham, right? And uh, he was this guy in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And, you know, uh, before him, it was just kind of like these, these different characters in the Bible. But, you know, Abraham, he was just chilling in this pagan, moon-worshipping village, you know, and, and God just came up to him one day, right? And he just said, hey, I chose you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'll make your name great. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will let you have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, right? And he gives him this covenant. He makes this promise with Abraham. And Abraham, I said this uh, when I preached at Yenza, but he was an old fart, man. He was an old pangu. You know, he was an old guy where, you know, he had nothing ahead of him. You know, his, his wife, Sarah, she was barren. She couldn't have kids. And he was 75 years old. And if you think like, yeah, the, the guy, he, the only thing he could have really imagined in his life was just, you know, getting a little older, um, having a little more land, you know, maybe a couple more goats here, some, some horses there, whatever, you know, livestock they had back there. Like, they, he didn't really have much going for him, right? But God comes up to him, makes this profound promise to him. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. You'll be blessed to be a blessing. But if you keep reading the book of Genesis, you know, he dies around, he has Isaac when he's about 100, and then I think about 40 years later, he dies. So maybe he's like 120 to 140 around that age. And uh, Isaac and Ishmael, they have a lot of kids. They have a bunch of kids. They, that's all they did back then. They just made a lot of kids. You know, that was like your second job. And, uh, you know, they were just having all these kids. And, and there's a lot of descendants Abram had. You know, he had probably grandchildren. He probably had some great-grandchildren. But when he died, he didn't get to see that promise really be fulfilled. I want you to think about that. God said, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But Abraham, who had many sons, you know, he could have counted, like, and the fact that it was written in the book of Genesis and there's a count of all the sons there, he was able to count. Like, you know how many freaking stars there are up in the sky? There's a lot of stars, you know? And, and it made me think, like, Abraham, he didn't see the promise fulfilled. And that's part of it is because we're still, you know, seeing it be fulfilled today. You know, we're part of the Abrahamic blessing on this side of the cross. You know, it says in Galatians that we're made heirs of God. We're, we're part of that inheritance that Abraham has, right? And, and it's, Abraham didn't see it really fulfilled because we're still, it's still being fulfilled today. But he didn't even see it near completion. And he didn't see all these descendants really just multiply. And it made me think, like, man, if I was Abraham, I wonder how I would have felt. And then I thought about Moses, too, where, you know, Moses, this man is just shepherding sheep for 40 years. Uh, you know, these dirty mangy sheep in the desert. God, bam, encounters them with a burning bush. And anyone here see Prince of Egypt? That's my, that's my movie right there. I'm going to watch that later this week. Um, you know, and, you know, he can do miracles. 
something, something, you know, and, uh, you know, 10 plagues come and then, you know, Mariah Carey sings in the back and he delivers the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, right? But it, they don't go right into the promised land. They have to, you know, you know, groan and complain for another 40 years in the wilderness. And there's a point where God meets Moses and he says, Moses, you know, I'll give you the promises. I'll, I'll give you the promised land. I'll, I'll give you all that land and those promises. But, you know, what does Moses says, say? He says, man, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. That's the new international David paraphrase version of, uh, yeah, he's pretty much said, man, if your presence doesn't go, even if I get the promises, even if I get the answer prayers, I don't want to have to do anything with that. And seeing that part of Moses, and he never entered the promised land. This, you know, he led a grumbling, you know, group of people, you know, did all these miracles with Mariah Carey in the back. And, you know, he, he just led them for 40 years in the world. He did all this, but he didn't get to go in the promised land. And it made me think like, man, if, you know, God's spoken so many promises over my life. And I've prayed for so many things. And I'm not saying God's not going to answer your prayers. No, he's a God who's faithful. He's a God who, you know, whoever, uh, yeah, whatever we ask for, you know, in just Jesus' name, and as long as according to his will, he's going to answer. He's faithful. He wants, you know, the salvation for your family more than you do. And I'm not saying he's not going to answer these things, but what I am saying is the reason why Moses was content with not going to the promised land and the reason why Abraham was okay with not seeing this, uh, descendants as numerous as stars in the sky, it was because their treasure was something important. Their treasure wasn't just seeing the inheritance being fulfilled. Their treasure wasn't just seeing their dreams being fulfilled. But their treasure was something bigger. You know, Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses was the only guy who saw the glory of God and actually survived. You know, they treasured something different. different. They treasured, you know, intimacy, the presence. They treasured friendship with the Lord more than anything else. And I want to ask you today, what is your treasure? And you guys are all studying right now. You guys all have different ambitions, dreams. But let's just say, you know, those things, you know, your favor is all upon you for surely, you know, love and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. That's, that's a word for every single one of us. But let's just say, you know, that favor doesn't lead you to that answered prayer request. Let's say that favor doesn't lead you to that dream you're pursuing. Are you going to be okay? Is your treasure more for that, that answered prayer or for that dream? Or is it for something different? Is it for Jesus? That's just something I've been chewing on, yeah, for a while. But uh, yeah, it's been really hitting me where I've been asking myself, what do I value more? Do I value more the promise or the promise maker? Do I promise my salvation or the one who saves? Do I promise the giver or do I promise the gift? And I'm just going to share three ways where we could really apply this of simply treasuring Jesus. And the first way is this. You treasure Jesus by counting the costs. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you didn't know, now you know there is a cost in following Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. There is a cost in following Jesus. Now you know. There's a cost in treasuring his kingdom more than anything else. And because there's a cost, what I'm telling you tonight is count them. In Luke chapter 10, verse 28, 
It says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost and sees whether he has enough to complete it. You see, I shared I was in Japan for a year, right, before I came out. And I was there uh, just for a year doing campus ministry, just evangelizing to students every day. And uh, I was there for the, was it March 2011, the tsunami earthquake time. Um, I was in Tokyo, so we had like a level seven something earthquake. But the tsunami was in North Japan where, you know, 20,000 people just instantly lost their lives. And after that, there was like a whole nuclear radiation threat. It's still kind of going on right now, but uh, back then it was really bad. And uh, what our campus director, what my uh, Eunice Lee at the time told me was, uh, we got to get out of there, you know, because maybe not my parents, but my teammates' parents were like freaking out. And, and you know, rightfully so, they're... Their, their children were about to grow like a third arm or something because all the nuclear radiation. And they were like, get my daughter out of there, right? And so we had to come to Korea for two weeks. And I visited New Philly like in 2009 uh, just, just for like a couple weeks. And I got to see the fruit of the ministry then. Uh, so when I came back in 2011 during the, 2000, uh, the, the tsunami earthquake time, uh, I said, yo, we got to go to this church. We go to the church. Uh, we're like, wow, this is really great. And hey, this uh, retreat, it's this weekend. And then you know, I went to the retreat, uh, got really rocked. And then I remember it, it was like Friday to Sunday night was the retreat. And then I got back to my harmonies in Suwon, my grandma's in Suwon, uh, late Sunday night. And then I had to leave back to Japan Monday morning. Uh, and then, you know, I just, uh, that was like April 2011. I just got rocked uh, from the retreat. And I was like, man, God's doing something in Korea. You know, God's. God's left you doing something in, in New Philly and in Emmaus, but he's just doing something, and I want to be a part of that. So what happened was, you know, I was just listening to uh, all the different podcasts that uh, our, our church was uh, preaching from every day, uh, uh, from every week, every Friday fire prayer meeting, every Sunday service. I was listening to every sermon. I think I listened to all of 2009 in like a couple months. And um, I remember I was just riding my bike to uh, Waseda University, and I was just riding, and I was just getting so rocked, and I'd be like, hallelujah, <laughs> like riding my bike, you know, riding by faith, not by sight, you know, just, just going down and, you know, shouting out, suing my sin, and just moving down, and uh, just getting so blessed, and man, because I got so blessed, a couple months later, like June-ish, I emailed Pastor Christian, who's the lead pastor for New Philly, and I said, hey, I'm not one of your sheep. I'm not one of your church members, but I would love to be a part uh, of what God's doing in New Philly. I'm, my time in Japan is going to end in July, that summer. I'm thinking about coming to Korea uh, thereafter. So, you know, it would be great if we could meet because that July, New Philly sent their first missions team to Tokyo. So I was like, you know, like I had this intro, three body, uh, yeah, three paragraph body, and then a conclusion, and it was like so formal, and I was using all this polite language and pastor christian just responds back you know man of god he just goes short thing bro and then like he's like we'll we'll just i'll hit you up or something like that and then i was like what the man i spent like two hours writing that thing and short thing bro sent from iphone you know and then it was like what is this you know and then so uh we're just uh i'm just waiting and then he comes, and I meet him, and uh, I think we ate at some, like, bad ramen place. It wasn't that good, and I'm just, like, trying to talk, but 
there's so much food. I, I remember just inhaling it down. And then we're just walking. And we walk to like a McDonald's, get some ice cream. And we're just walking some more. And he's just telling me, uh, we're just talking. We're getting to know each other a bit. And then he goes, uh, he, he just shares with me what my options were. And he was like, you know, if you want to just come and be a, a part of the, the ministry, that's fine. You know, just come, teach, uh, do whatever. Just come for a year, be a part of what God's doing. Um, and if you want to get married, hey, that's the option too. I was like, okay. Uh, but then he said, but, man, if you want to, because what I was experiencing at the time was, I want to enter time of just training, of just growing, of just really uh Something like what I'm doing right now. I just didn't know there was like an intern pastor program at the time. I really had no idea. But I was just saying, I want to enter a time where I'm just, I know I want to do ministry. I know I want to be equipped. Um, and I know that even if I'm just a member, I'll just learn and grow enough uh, that, yeah, I'll just, I just want to be a part of that, right? And he was saying like, all right, if, well, if you want that, we have this thing called an intern pastor program. And, you know, uh, this is what it is. And you get to go to seminary and you serve in whatever ways. And uh, applications open up that November, blah, blah, blah. He's just like, you know, selling it to me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And then he just goes, but it doesn't mean you're going to get it just because you apply. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. You know, and then he's kind of just like getting my hopes up. But, you know, even when he said that, and even though I felt so underqualified and, and all these things, I just knew like, man, that's what I, that's what I need to do. Or that's what I, I know I want. And you know, obviously I'm here and I've been here for a little over two years now. And uh, shortly after I came here, after PC said, uh, yeah, we got a new intern pastor. I asked him, I was like, why'd you choose me? Why'd you choose this, this uh, Korean American, you know, Japanese missionary? I had like dyed hair back then. And I was uh, walking around with a sword umbrella. And uh, yeah, I was just on the surf. You know, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outer appearance. But God looks at the heart, you know, and and it just more than more than my um, charisma, you know. It was it's like I'm not a member of this church, you know. I I don't like the whole supernatural aspect and seeing people, you know, baptism of the whole. That was all new to me. I never experienced that before coming to New Philly. I only heard about it, uh, like gift of tongues. I got by myself, but it wasn't like fire. And I, you know, I just like received that. You know, it was very new to me. And in that sense, I was very underqualified. And I was just like, why'd you choose me, right? And then he just goes and he, uh, he just says, pretty much, he goes to that passage what we just looked at, where, you know, he saw a guy who found a hidden treasure and he sold everything that he had. And he just bought it, you know, bought that field. And he was saying, David, I saw that kind of heart in you where, you know, you were able to just disregard whatever because you saw it wasn't necessarily new philly it wasn't a mess it wasn't you know what the intern passed the program but it was you just hungering after god and you saying i want to be a part of that and no matter what it costs i'm going to pay it and he said he saw that kind of heart and that's why so actually when he was trying to scare me by saying just because you apply it doesn't mean you get it you know he, he actually said he knew that i was the one that I was supposed to be part of this program. But, you know, he was just scaring me because you know, that's the good thing about Pastor Chris. He just always gives you that decision or opportunity to decide. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I share that because I knew following Jesus, it meant to go to Korea. 
But in order to do that, I had to count the cost. And, you know, I'm not just talking about certain comforts, you know, coming from the land of America, you know, where, you know, everything's bigger and, you know, bigger cars and bigger portions and, you know, the land, at least my city where Philadelphia cheesesteaks are from. And, you know, I'm not just talking about those kind of costs that I had to lay down for the Lord cheesesteak. Jesus, I love you. Uh, you know, but I'm talking about like, you know, financial provision. Right now I'm raising support primarily. And, you know, I, I probably could have just lived with my parents or something and, you know, not have to worry about finances. Uh, I live 10 minutes away from this school, this seminary called Westminster, which is like, it's like the Harvard of like seminaries, you know, and everything could have just lined up and, you know, not just that, but coming to a foreign land where I don't, I'm not really fluent in the language and where I could get amens from all of you right now, you know, where, you know, just kind of giving up these things, you know, counting these costs. And but I think the biggest thing was just, man, my family, like I'm a, I'm an uncle. So I'm the baby of the family and my sister's six. And then the other one's uh, nine years older than me. My, not, my sister's not six, but my sister's six years older. And then my oldest sister is nine years older. And the oldest one is, uh, man, that'd be crazy. Uh, my oldest one, she has a, uh, a, a daughter and a son. So the son is six and then uh, Joshua and then my niece, Olivia, she's about nine and she's, uh, she's getting in like the acting business. So my, uh, my sister's getting her in like, like all these commercial shoots. She was in a law and order, um, like extra. She's on the monkey bars, like, you know, playing and, uh, you guys know Oblivion, that okay movie with, uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. She was, uh, the one holding this Spoiler alert, spoiler She was holding this uh, Donkey Kong. Wait, no, King Kong, King Kong. She was holding this King Kong doll. And anyways, I'm so proud of her right now. But uh, <laughs> I think some of the costs I had to uh, really count was, yeah, the fact that I'm not going to see my niece and nephew, you know, and the fact that I'm not going to be there for them and just be able to, like, speak life into them and, and just, just show, you know, my love and, and be there for their birthdays. And I don't want to be a, a, a memory, you know, of just... Uncle David, David, David. You know, I don't want to be forgotten, but I want to, you know, I want to be there for them, right? But, you know, what I realized was I had to count these costs. Because, you know, when you follow Jesus, you can't just go out of pure zeal and just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love him. I'm going to do all these things prematurely. You got to realize what you're stepping into. And some of you guys, and talking about family, some of you guys are the only Christians in your family. And you're going to have to pay a cost. You may receive persecution. You may receive, you know, resistance for this faith that, you know, you firmly are believing in. And some of you may have already received that. But even if you're the only Christian or if your whole family is Christian, you may still receive some persecution, some resistance. Regardless, you're going to have to pay a cost. Because when you follow Jesus, you pay a cost. And whatever the cost is and wherever it comes from, I'm asking you tonight, to count the costs. Because following Jesus can be one of the most difficult things you could do in your life. But it's the most rewarding. And when difficulties come your way, what Jesus is going to ask you is to take up your cross. But we can't do that if we fail to count the costs. So my first point is treasure Jesus by counting the cost. Second one is treasure Jesus by finishing strong. Say it with me. Treasure Jesus by finishing strong. Treasure Jesus by finishing 
like I said, I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I had a small church growing up. Everyone kind of knew each other. And I had this one young, his name's Kangari. Uh, I don't know what that means, but yeah, Kangari. Hyung uh, is like older brother, so he was like an like older, older brother of mine. And this guy was a genius, let me tell you that. He was, he was uh, just like a super nerd at school, like straight A's, but then he was also like in sports, so he had a lot of extracurricular. And I remember being in his car, and this man, you know, we, when we're in the car, we listen to, you know, the radio, or these days we got, you know, our iPhones that, you know, we could hook it up. You, you want to know what this guy listened to? Somebody take a guess, please. <laughs> Definitely not. He listened to Shakespeare. <laughs> like Shakespearean plays, audio version. He just listened to Shakespeare. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, this is my... uh, Romeo, Romeo, where art thou? Whatever. You know, he listened to this. And this guy, he, in high school, when he got sick, his parents, they were like, no, you can't go to school. But he lived like five, ten minutes away walking. He would sneak out from the back and go to school, make sure he didn't miss a day of school, even if he was sick. Some of you guys, when your parents say, you know, stay home, you're like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> you just, you don't, you don't need to hear them say it twice. But this man, this smart man, Kang Young, he just snuck out from the back and went to school, probably listening to his Walkman, you know, Shakespeare. And... You know, I, I talked to him, I was like, oh, and just uh, to continue what he did, he went to uh, Princeton for undergrad, and then I think his parents were like, you could have gone into a better school? What the heck? Uh, so he transferred to, like, Yale in the middle, and then I forget what he graduated with, but he was working for the CIA, and uh, this was during, uh, especially the, the, the big war, like, right after, um, you know, 9-11, so that was, like, really popular, and uh, he was... Yeah, he he couldn't tell anyone what he was doing, like, so he just he just kind of came to church whenever and he like like young what are, what are you doing to CIA man what are you doing he's like I could tell you, but I have to kill you you know it was like one of it was like one of those things like but he could actually say that you know we we say it as a joke but he could act, like he he'd really have to kill me you know if he told me and and then uh man you know he just got paid so well that he bought his parents a. a Jaguar car and like you know just as a blessing and and then after all that he he quit the CIA and he went to uh, Harvard for uh, seminary get his master's of divinity so I think he's doing ministry now I haven't I got a, I got a Facebook Kangaroo sometime soon but yeah he's he's this really smart guy and so he went to the top three universities Princeton Yale Harvard and I was like you know what is your secret like can you just give me give me some I was just like, lay some hands on me, pray for me, give me that Ivy League anointing, right? And this is what he told me. He said, I never quit anything I started. He said, whatever he started, he finished, not just finished it, but finished strongly. He never quit anything he started. So for all of you that aren't familiar, (laughs) never quit. Amen? All right, so, no, more than that, though, it's just, yeah, he never quit anything he started. And in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
And this cloud of witnesses is talking about all the saints in the past, talking about like Abraham, Moses, all these, the past Christians, they're all in heaven. There's a whole cloud of witnesses. They're kind of cheering you on. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, when you follow Jesus, you treasure him over everything else. You throw off everything that hinders you. The sin which so closely clings to you, you throw it off. You disregard it and you finish strong. You don't quit what you started. And when you treasure him by finishing strong, you finish strong by getting rid of every distraction and you finish strong by running the race to win. You don't just run this kind of race to just... Let me, let me just do this. Let me get my ticket to salvation, you know, and because, hey, I received Jesus' love right now. I know God is the Father now, and I know that by me just being a Christian and receiving Jesus Christ into my heart as Lord and Savior, I know I'm going to heaven. It doesn't just end there is what I'm saying. You got to run this race to win it. You know, you got to move forward. You got to treasure Jesus by finishing strong. Don't be like hungry young, you know. Don't quit anything you started. Finish strong. Because the good thing about that is you go from glory to glory. Paul says you go from ever-increasing glory to ever-increasing glory. And I'm telling you, the Christian life is an adventure. I never thought I'd be in Korea or Korea University preaching right now. I, I never thought I'd be in Japan. I never thought I'd be in Korea. But, man, when you follow the voice of the Lord, and, you know, when it says, listen, when God says listen, it doesn't just mean listen and leave it at that, but it actually means obey. You know, when Jesus says it, when God says in the Old Testament, there was this mutual, it was a dual meaning to this word, listen, hear my word. It meant it always obeys. It always leads to some kind of action. In that same way, we're called to just move forward. We're called to run this race. We're called to treasure Jesus by finishing strong. Third point is this, treasure Jesus with joy. Say joy. joy. Joy bomb. You see, the man in the parable, he knew what the treasure was. And because he realized the importance of this treasure, not only did he sell all that he had, but it says that he did it with joy. Again, verse 44, it says, Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. In his joy. Because you see, it may have seemed like a sacrifice when he was selling all that he had, right? But this quote-unquote sacrifice, it wasn't hard for him. There was no hardship because, because of this. It was done out of delight. It was done out of joy. Not out of a sense of obligation, but it was done out of joy. And let me tell you, we do technically owe God a lot. You know, he saved us. He's taken us. From the miry pits of destruction, he set our feet upon a rock. He makes secure every step that we take. He gives us, that's good because that's the word of God. <laughs> but, um, you know, and he, he gives us dreams. He gives us, you know, he restores certain things. You know, I know a lot of you uh, went to the leadership retreat, received healing and deliverance. He's healed and he's restored certain parts of your life. He's gotten rid of the trauma and he's done all these things in your life. And in a sense, we do owe him. But the fact is, he freely gave it to us. So it's a gift. So receive it as a gift. You know, gift by definition is something that someone gives to you, not because you necessarily deserve it, not because you worked for it, but even though he gave it to us, 
Because it's a gift, there's no obligation. And because there's no obligation, we've got to receive it with joy. We've got to treasure Jesus with joy is what I'm saying. You see, because once the kingdom of heaven is truly understood, once, it, once you really know what it means to treasure Jesus, then nothing else can compare with it in value. Say that one more time. Once you really know what it means to treasure Jesus, once you really know what it means to treasure Jesus, then nothing else can compare in value. Nothing else can compare. Jim Elliott, he was this guy who was from the States, I think it was around the 60s, and uh, he, him and five other guys, they went to South America, Ecuador, they went to this uh, savage, barbarian kind of village where they were known for killing people, they were known for, uh, very, known for their violence. And he goes, he's, he's trying to share the gospel, share this message. Long story short, him and his, uh, his buddies, the five other guys, they get martyred. They die. You know, they find their bodies floating uh, down the river. And a more amazing story is the wives of all these men, they, they come together, they pray for each other, uh, they actually forgive this village, and they're saying, you know what, we got to go and finish what our husband started. So they go and they share the gospel, and that whole village comes to know Christ. And there's like an established church there, and it's a really beautiful story. But, you know, Jim Elliott, when they uh, found his journals, you know, before his death, and while he was getting ready to go uh, to this Ecuadorian village, this is what he said. It's a really famous quote. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's pretty much saying, you know, when you know what it means to treasure Jesus, you can pay any cost. And he's saying, what's the point of holding on to these very temporary things if it's, if it's just going to fade away, right? That's why Paul says, you got to set your eyes on the, not the seen things, the temporary things, but on the unseen things, the eternal things. And there's nothing more eternal than Jesus. There's nothing more eternal than the love of Christ. Jim Elliot understood what it meant to treasure Jesus. And he did it with joy. And just to continue on, Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus, he knew that there was a joy before him. You know, when he was on that road to Calvary, when he was just climbing up that hill with the cross on his back, he knew that there was a joy before him. He knew what he had to do. He knew that the physical pain he was going through, the man got flogged in his back, you know, his blood everywhere and he's just going and he's just thirsty and he's just moving he knows the physical pain that's about to happen the nails coming into his hands and his feet the crown of thorns he has to wear but more than that he knew that he had to bore the wrath the sin you know he had to become sin it says and think about it jesus he his whole life he was sinless he was holy you ever see like two magnets that come against each other you can't you can't put them together, right? Because they're repelling each other. That's the kind of mental anguish that Jesus was going through. Because the very essence of who he was, holiness, as in saying there's, there's not even an ounce of sin, there's not even an ounce of imperfection, 
There's that holiness. And then there's sin. It's like this constant tension. And Jesus said, I got to deal with that. And even with that, minus the physical pain, minus the mental pain, the cup that was stored, you know, the, the wrath of God for generations, for every sin that was, paid, that, that was committed, that God was just storing up. It says in the word that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. That's just a, I know it's a fancy word, but what it really means is this. It means all that wrath that God had. Because God's a just God. You know, he, he can't just let things go, you know, because if he does that, he's not, he's not just anymore, right? So just by legality, he had to pour out this wrath. He had to do punishment for the sin that was just a, a crime, right? And this wrath is just getting stored. And stored. You know, every single man and woman that committed a sin is just being stored and stored and stored. And that cup of wrath, it was about to be unleashed to all of us. But what that propitiation, what that means is that wrath that came towards us, it was appeased. Okay? It was gone. It was dealt with. The price was paid. But not only has that wrath towards us stopped, but it's actually transformed into favor. It actually turned to our good. But Jesus knew he had to bore that cup of wrath. And that's why the night before in Gethsemane, in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying. And it says, you know, blood, it's like dropping down, right? Sweat and tears of blood are just dropping down. And even though he knows what he's about to endure, what does it say? It says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's a joy. I want you to get that. There was a joy. Even in the midst of all that anguish, that physical, mental, and spiritual pain, there was a joy that was set before him. And it said this. It says here, scorning the shame, but it means despising. It means mocking the shame. This is what it means. There's the cross right here. He looks at that. He looks at the joy. And you know what the joy was? The joy was this. It was being with the Father. And it was us being with Jesus and the Father. That was his joy. But he looks at one look at the cross. Again, the physical pain, the mental pain, the spiritual pain, the cup of wrath that he's about to bear. He mocks it. He says, Psh, that's nothing. Because the joy that's set before me, I can endure this cross. I can mock that shame. I could despise. I could scorn that shame. That's nothing because of the joy that's set before me. And when you endure Jesus, when you, when you treasure Jesus, you know, for Jesus, what he treasured was the relationship with the Father and, and us, right? But for us, we're in a different end. We're supposed to treasure Jesus and God, the Father. And when you treasure Jesus, when you treasure him above all things, when you're willing to pay the cost, and any cost for that matter, you're supposed to do it with joy. And the cool thing, the good thing about Jesus is not only does he give us the example to do so, but by him being in our hearts, he enables us to do this. Because let me tell you, this, is, this isn't a natural way of living. And a lot of you receive you know, Jesus Christ in your life, and a lot of you receive you know, the baptism of, your whole, of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. There's rivers of living water flowing in you. And that's what enables you to live this kind of life with joy. That's why Paul, you know, in the midst of being in prison, he's able to sing psalms of just praise. 
No matter what kind of persecution he's feeling, it didn't matter. Even when you know, he got flogged twice, and the way, the timing that it happened, for him to get the second flogging, he was still recovering from his first flogging. So that means as he's wearing his shirt, you can still see the bloodstains. You can still see the fresh pain. But he's still able to walk with joy. He's still able to say, consider it a pure joy when you face trials of many kind. That's a supernatural kind of way of living. And Jesus, he exemplifies that, but he enables us to do that. So treasure Jesus by counting the cost. Treasure Jesus by finishing strong and treasure Jesus with joy. Let's pray.